Chairperson, as it stands, we've only got two members on the platform. It's yourself and Mr. Kai. So, so I don't know if you maybe if you want to give it a few more minutes. Okay, let's give it a, 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 a few minutes, then we'll start. Okay.
Thank, 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 thank you so much again. Apologies for for the for the delay. Uh, all members are struggling with connect with with connecting, uh, but now we've got enough number. We 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 can start with our with with our meeting. Uh, uh, <clears throat> as you know, that we are dealing with the uh, twenty twenty two appropriation bill and the second uh, the uh, second adjustment appropriation bill. As, as part of this process, uh, we, we have a, a parliamentary budget office uh, making their uh, opinion, researched and scientific opinion about uh, the, uh, the, the, the two bills. <coughs> um, you remember, all members and uh, <coughs> uh, fellow South Africans, that uh, this is the process which flows from uh, the, 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 the budget, uh, which was presented by the Minister of Finance. Uh, with the budget, it also presents the fiscal framework bill. Uh, it also presents the uh, division of revenue bill. And both of those bills have been dealt with by National Assembly. And <clears throat> now we are dealing with the 2022 appropriation bill, which is the bill which uh, uh, allocates uh, funds to different uh, uh, votes through departments, agencies, and and, SO, and SOEs. So that's what we are doing today, honourable members. With those uh, few words, uh, um, um, <coughs> uh, uh, Dr. Olandi, you, you you are welcome with your with your, with your team. But before we that, we do that. Can we get apologies, um, Darren? Yes, Chairperson, we received apologies from Mr. Kwankwa. Um, Mr. Melanzana indicated that there is load setting. So I don't know if he will be able to join then Mr. Murray join the meeting a little bit later. That's it, Chairperson. Thank you. Okay, thank you. We also have got an apology from the director of, of TBO. Uh, Dr. Janchi is, is, is out of the country uh, on the work of uh, uh, PBO. We'll, we'll note that, and um, uh, the the team PBO team PBO is, is led uh, by Dr. Olandi. Um, thank you so much, Dr. Olandi and your, and, and your team. Uh, other members will will, will join us uh, in due course, as, as it has been indicated. They are struggling with the uh, connectivity. Can I also request everybody who will be participating, uh, will be talking, presentation, making an input uh, to try and uh, have their videos on. Um, obviously, we know that when there's a problem with the connectivity, then <clears throat> we'll understand. But it should not be the first option, it should be the last option to have your video switched off. Yes. Dr. Olandi, for all yours. Um, thank you, Chairperson. Um, and good morning to all honorable members and guests. I will start the presentation, but my team will follow, um, and then we will be available for any clarity-seeking questions. So we can start with slide number three. 
So just in terms of an introduction, um, to assist members with their deliberations and recommendations on the Appropriations Bill, the PBO presentation focuses on the provision, the provisions of the Bill, how departmental appropriations link with policy priorities, departmental responsibilities in realising policy priorities, changes to the appropriations since the 21-22 financial year, we also looked at some key risks in, real, in realising fiscal policy objectives over the medium term. And we also looked at the call for action on accountability on the use of public finances um, indicated by the AG of South Africa. And then we just summarised the second adjustments appropriations for, for members. Next slide. So the 2020 next the 2022 appropriations bill reflects, next slide please, uh, reflects a summary of the appropriations per main division and economic classification per vote, which includes the spending on compensation of employees, goods and services, transfers, interest and rent on land, payments for capital assets and payments for financial assets. The detail is presented in the 2022 estimates of national expenditure, and it was also mentioned yesterday by the National Treasury that the two documents need to be read together. Um, just to note that the detail of the Parliament is excluded from this bill and it's also excluded from the EME. The second adjustments bill um, for 2021, the previous financial year, provides for the National Treasury to purchase equity in SASRA of 18.9 billion and for health to purchase goods and services to address the needs of COVID-19, which amounts to 500 million. Next slide. So members, um, the national government mainly provides central government administration services, justice and protection services, financial administration services, economic services, and um, infrastructure development and social services. These services are funded through the national um, share of the revenue fund, of which some is provided by the national departments and other services are provided by institutions through transfers from the national sphere, as reflected in the appropriations bill. These transfers include transfers to provinces for the delivery of basic education, health, roads, housing and social development, and also transfers to municipalities to provide basic services such as water, sanitation, electricity, roads and community services. Next slide. Next. Um, social protection and safety and security are the two largest expenditure functions of the national sphere of government, which are provided for in the appropriations bill. The following are a few statistics to indicate the need for these services. Um, Stats South Africa estimated that by mid-2021, the population was at 60.14 million, and it was slightly higher than the previous estimation of 59.3 million. For adults aged 15 to 49 years, an estimated 19.4%, 8.2 million of the population is HIV positive. About 28% of the population is aged younger than 15 years, 17 million people, of which an estimated number of 13.3 million received in child support grant in 2021. Approximately 9.2%, 5.5 million um, of our citizens 
is 60 years or older, of which an estimated number of 3.9 million received an old age grant. An estimated 96% of the Department of Social Development's budget are appropriated for the payment of social grants. The department expects to pay social grants to 18.6 million beneficiaries, excluding the recipients of the COVID-19 special uh, relief of distress grant in, in the appropriations for 2022-23. A new allocation in this budget includes 44 million to extend the special COVID-19 social relief of distress grant until March 2023. Next slide. The South African police service and justice system need to prevent and respond to crime that continuously increase. Contact crimes increased by 25% from 223,000 um, during the first semester in 2020 to 279 during the first semester in 2021. Um, and it, they did not achieve the set target of reducing this by 7.48%. Contact crimes against women increased by 4.3% from 66,000 in the first semester in 2020 to 69 during the first semester in 2021. Although contact crimes against children decreased by 7.9%. Dr. Olani? Yes? Sorry to interrupt you, hey. Uh, please, can you, can you uh, uh, share with us what exactly you mean by semester? How many months it was? I, I, I didn't hear, sorry. Um, let me see. No, no, I was saying, can you please uh, 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 tell us uh, about the semester? Uh, what period is that when you refer to a semester? It's a 2021. What is semester? Is it three months? Is it six months? Is it four months? Is it 12 months? Uh, it's, 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 sorry, it's, it's six months for the first six months. Yeah, let's, let's, let's do <laughs> Although contact crimes against children decreased by 7.9% um, from 17,000 during the first semester in 2020 to 15,000 during the first semester in 2021, it is still a high number that needs, to res um, needs a response from the police services and the justice system. Um, I will now hand over to the next presentation. Uh, thank you very much, Nilia. Uh, Chairperson, honorable members, uh, I'll be taking you briefly through the slides on the macroeconomic developments uh, since the budget was tabled in February. And we do so simply because we believe that there's been uh, several global and domestic uh, developments that certainly have got uh, potential implications for our economic growth outlook. And therefore, by implication, the proposed uh, 2022 appropriations bill. Now, on the global front, I think top of the mind would be the invasion of Ukraine by Russia, which fundamentally has disrupted global trade. It has reduced uh, global economic growth and has certainly caused higher inflation, especially when you look at commodities such as fuel, as well as food. In relation to food specifically, uh, when you look at grain prices. You also have China, on the other hand, that continues to implement uh, strict lockdown measures to curb the spread of COVID-19, uh, when um, with this action are bound to worsen not only their economic growth outlook, but it further exacerbates these global supply chain disruptions. Uh, and this will certainly have adverse implications for small open economies such as South Africa. 
Now, all of this happens against a backdrop when we know that the COVID-19-induced uh, global inflation pressures have been boiling over, and this is certainly resulting in a number of central banks across the globe uh, aggressively in increasing interest rates in response to this higher inflation. In terms of financial markets, we're also seeing a lot of volatility there uh, with a lot of, um, of capital outflows. You would have seen that recently, the rent exchange rate, which has been remarkably quite resilient, especially in the first half of 2022, also succumbing to some of these global forces. Uh, next slide, please. Now, uh, domestically, we also have several constraints uh, that add additional downward pressure to growth. And top of, and this is on top of the global setbacks that I've just spoken about. Now, when we look at the domestic uh, uh, constraints, uh, first would be the hit to disposable income. Firstly, from a weaker labor market, you've got higher inflation, and there's also the likelihood of uh, uh, interest rate hikes from the South African Reserve Bank uh, in their next meetings. Uh, secondly, would be the energy constraints in terms of the persistent load shading, uh, which certainly has got an impact in as far as productivity in the economy. Uh, added to this would be the latest resurgence in COVID-19 cases uh, amid the country lifting its national state of disaster. Then finally, and more recently, would be the devastating uh, recent floods in KZN, which certainly have had an adverse impact on ex external trade, as well as the agriculture and manufacturing production in the country. Uh, and then on a more positive note, uh, we do know that some sectors of the South African economy, uh, most notably the mining sector, continues to benefit from higher community prices. And they say that although this will continue to benefit the first cuts in terms of the revenue windfall from a corporate tax point of view, uh, however, when you look at it from a GDP, real GDP point of view, I think the severe problems that we're seeing in terms of transport infrastructure, specifically when you look at the bulk uh, export rail lines and the problems with the port facilities, uh, this suggests that uh, from a real GDP point of view, uh, the country may not necessarily benefit as much from the higher community prices. Uh, next slide, please. Now, the 2022, in terms of the growth outlook, uh, we do know that the 2022 budget does present an improved growth outlook uh, when compared to the MTPPS. Uh, and as such, uh, we also seen that uh, since the budget, uh, there's not been any material changes in terms of the growth outlook uh, from a number of forecasters. And we're saying that over the medium term, uh, this growth outlook uh, is subject to a number of downside risks. Uh, large part of them that I've mentioned around the, the, the war in Russia, around the, the various waves of COVID-19, the floods, as well as higher domestic inflation. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Tsebo. Thank you, Honorable Members. Honorable Chairperson, I'll be taking you through the policy priorities, whereby we link the policy priorities to the budget. We specifically looking at the pronouncements made by the president during the State of the Nation address and see how those are captured in the budget, how the budget responds to such pronoun pronouncements by the president. 
So we took the, for this presentation, the economic development in terms of the budget function. We're concentrating on that, only that budget function, the economic development. So in terms of the pronouncements made by the president, he spoke about the job creation, looking at the presidential employment stimulus program. The first two phases of the program have supported over 850,000 opportunities so far. And he made the pronouncement that to encourage hiring by small businesses, government will be increasing the value and expanding the criteria for participation in the employment tax incentive. These changes to the incentive will make it easier for businesses in particular to hire young people. And the South African youth.mobi platform for young workers, young work seekers to access opportunities and support now has more than 2.3 million young South Africans registered. And through the master plans in the steel industry, furniture and global business services have been implemented. And through these plans, business, government and labor are working together to increase production and create more job opportunities. So the global business services sector on the, is on track to create 500,000 new jobs over the next few years. And the gas industry has huge potential for job creation and broader economic development. So in terms of the job creation, what we see the budget response is that over the medium term, 76 billion is allocated for job creation programs and an additional 18.4 billion is made available for the presidential employment initiative. In terms of the infrastructure, the pronouncements made by the president is that government has prioritized infrastructure projects to support economic growth and better livelihoods, especially in the energy, road and water management. And government is introducing an innovative social infrastructure delivery mechanism to address issues that affect the delivery of school infrastructure. So how does the, the budget respond to that? In terms, Sandral receives an additional 9.9 .9 billion for maintaining the Nantal road network 2.1 billion is allocated for raising the Glen William Dam. The Lepella Water Board is allocated 1.4 billion for the Olifant Sport and Ebenezer plants. And the Umgen Water Board is allocated 813 million for the lower Umkomazi Water Supply Scheme. Next slide, please. So the next one is the SMEs. In terms of the SMEs, a new redesigned loan guarantee scheme is being introduced to enable small businesses to bounce back from the pandemic and civil unrest. So one of them is the business environment. Government is working to improve small environment for companies of all sizes through the dedicated capacity in the presidency to reduce the rate tape for small businesses. And in terms of the business environment, we reduce the rate tapes. And in terms of SOEs, it is essential to reverse the decline and position of SOEs to contribute positively to the economy. And in terms of agriculture, in addition to the specific crops, master plants in the sugar and poultry industries, 
are contributing significantly to increased investment, improvement production and transformation. And in terms of land reform, we see that the establishment of the agriculture and land reform development agency will be finalized this year. The Department of Public Works and Infrastructure will finalize the transfer of 14,000 hectares of state land to housing development agency. And how does the budget respond to that? A new business bounce back scheme will be launched. Small business loan guarantees of 15 billion will be facilitated through the participation, participating banks and development finance institutions and a small business equity linked loan guarantee support mechanisms of about 20 billion, which will be facilitated through the DFIs. The importance of these announcements and allocation are to ensure that it is reflected in the standard statutory document of departments to be able to hold them accountable to spend on these interventions. Next slide. In terms of budgeting by function, budget decisions take place within budget groups, which comprises the various institutions across the three spheres of, of government grouped according to the objectives of activities they are mandated to perform. So these function groups include learning and culture, social development, community development, health, general public services, economic development, and peace and security. We saw in the previous two slides, we concentrated on the economic development. So these function groups are specifically grouped to facilitate subject-specific discussions targeting service delivery requirements and policy priorities, such as the seven priorities of the 2019-2024 MTSF. It is then expected that service delivery are also monitored in terms of these function groups or sub-function groups. The initial idea with the arrangement of the function groups was to align the budget with the NDP and the 2014-2019 MTSF, which will be now the 2019-2024 MTSF. So in terms of the budget function groups, so we see in these in this two slides, we're concentrating on the, we're looking at the function groups in the first column, the second column is the technical groups or function subgroups. And the last column is the key department and institution responsible for those particular function groups. So the first one is learning and culture. Under learning and culture, we have basic education. We have post-school education and training. We have arts and culture, sports and recreation. And then on the last column, we have the departments and the institution or that are responsible for the implementation of those function groups. And the second function group is health. And we have under the technical group, we have health and the Department of Health and National and Laboratory Health Services are responsible for the health function group. The third function group is social development, which we have the technical group, we have the social protection, and the last column, we have the different department and institutions responsible for the social development function groups. The fourth one is the community development and the sub-technical function group is community development. And we have cooperative governance and other department and institutions responsible for this function group. And the next one is the general public service, which the executive and legislative organs as the technical group and we have the presidency 
government communications and information system, parliament and provincial legislatures, planning, monitoring and evaluation department being responsible for this function group. Next slide. The next one is economic development. We have as technical group, industrial, industrialization and exports. We have agriculture and research and development. We have job creation and labor affairs. We have economic regulation and infrastructure. We have innovation, science and technology. And we have the different departments responsible for those different technical groups. And the last one is peace and security. We, in which we have the defense and state security, we have police services, we have labor courts and prisons, we have defense and state security, we have police services, and we have on the last column the different departments which are and, and institutions which are responsible for these technical groups. Next slide. Thank you, Chairperson. Nilia, over to you. Thank you. Next slide, please. Oh. Yes, so members, um, the table on this slide um, is provi um, pro provide, slide is provided the numbers to the um, appropriated in relation to the already approved division of revenue. Oh. So what I'm saying is we're just showing in the re relations to the division of revenue that has already been approved, we just show you um, the division in terms of the appropriations. The total amount to be appropriated amounts to 1,959 billion. This amount excludes the provisional allocations and infrastructure fund not assigned to votes and the contingency reserve. So it's, it excludes those um, allocations. The national allocation includes the total vote appropriations, which includes all the conditional grants except for the local government equitable share. The provincial allocation only includes the provincial equitable share. The local allocation includes the local government equitable share included in the appropriations for vote three, corporate governance in the appropriations bill. Other includes, amongst others, the fuel levy and the skills levy. Next slide. Members, the next two slides provide the appropriations by vote, including direct charges, which mainly affects the appropriation to the National Treasury and the changes since the previous financial year. So the total appropriations by vote amounts to 1057 billion and the direct charges amounts to 902 billion. The appropriations bill includes disaggregation per main division, except for parliament, and the compensation of employees are specifically and exclusively appropriated in the bill. And the total increases since 2021 is 149 billion. Um, and some of the highlights from this table from these tables are, um, if you look at corporate governance, there was an increase of 10.5 billion. And then lower down in this table is higher education and training um, uh, receives an increase of 14.5 billion. Next slide. Um, further highlights in this table is basically the social development, which receives an um, increase of 52. 8 um, billion rand. Next slide. 
The proportions appropriated for current payments and transfers and subsidies to national votes are compensation of employees. On a national level, it is 17.3%, excluding the direct charges. Goods and services um, are 7.7%, excluding direct charges. Transfers and subsidies makes up 69% of the total appropriations, but this include direct charges. Um, a few highlights are, um, are the votes that are driven by COE, expenditure or transfers. We specifically mention the transfers because in many instances, it is the outputs of those transfers that are required to address poverty, inequality and growth that will improve employment. It is also found that the, trans, um, the reporting on these outputs are not reflected in the departmental annual performance plans. And the reporting is either directly to the National Treasury or in terms of cabinet memorandums um, just um, going to cabinet um, or some of the reporting is also done um, to the Department of Planning, Monitoring and Evaluation. So some of the um, highlights in the table is the presidency um, spent 62.1% on COE. Parliament 53%, um, vote 9, planning, monitoring and evaluation spent 66.7% and public service commission 75% um, of the appropriations are appropriate just in terms of COE. Uh, one other to mention or some others in terms of transfers, corporate governance transfer 95.4% of this appropriation, but just to note that this includes the local government equitable share. Public works and infrastructure um, transfers 87% of the appropriation, basic education 83%, but this includes the transfers to, in terms of conditional grants to provinces. Higher education transfers 91%, um, which also includes the transfers to other institutions such as universities. Um, and health transfer 90% of the budget, but this also includes the conditional grants to um, the, the provinces. Next slide. Um, some of the highlights in terms of um, this table is women, youth and persons with disability transfer 79%. The next one is uh, a military veterans Something, some interesting fact in terms of military veterans is um, their goods, they spend 46% on goods and services. Um, this is slightly different than what we see in all the other uh, proportions spent um, in relation to COE. So there's always, or in most instances, there, there's a relation between COE and goods and services. But in military veterans, they spend 19 0.5% on COE, but 46% on goods and services. The Office of the Chief Justice also spent 74% um, on COE, police 78.6%. And then if we move down to forestry and fisheries, um, it's the same scenario as in military veterans. They spent 52% on um, goods and services. And then the last few are um, in terms of the transfers, human settlements spend 97%, mineral resources and energy transfer 80%, science and innovation 93%, 
small business, 89% sports, arts and culture, 80% and then trade and industry, also transfer 82% and transport um, transfers um, 98% of their appropriation. And these are just the proportions that um, that is reflected in the appropriations bill. Next slide. So members, this illustration um, links to the conversation regarding the structure of government and reforms or possible reforms. I specifically, um, it specifically demonstrates that the proportions allocated to program one, administration, um, votes that appropriate more than 25% to administration um, are included in this table. And you will see the presidency is at 86%. Um, National School of Government spent 49% on Program 1, DPME 40%, Public Service and Administration 45%, the Public Service Commission 50%. And you can also link this high administration cost to the smaller, um, to the smaller votes. Next slide. The highlights on the appropriations bill by the economic classification um, includes um, the decrease in the um, comp in, in goods and services of 6%, interest and rent on land um, increased by 12.5% since, um, since the revised estimates of last year. Uh, municipalities, the transfer to municipalities increased by 11.4%. Um, households will receive 10% more. Um, and then um, the last one is payments for financial assets that in this appropriations bill decreased by 65% um, um, since last year, the revised estimates. And these payments normally include the, the, the uh, support for SOEs. Next slide. So in terms of the additional funding, we basically spoke about it and we've seen it. The adjustments to the main budget were made possible by an improved revenue outlook. Upward adjustments include compensation of its, um, employees, specifically for health, education and the police force. Other increases include transfers to municipalities and households. Increases to the local government, however, does not guarantee that the needs of indigent households will be sufficiently met, especially if the system systematic financial and operational challenges are not addressed. And public finance rules include that any new spending commitments, such as additional social protection, must be fully financed by tax measures or spending cuts, which basically implies that government will not borrow to fund new spending priorities. And any shortfall in revenue collection affecting expenditure will have to be absorbed within existing baselines, which means that departments will have to reprioritize within their own allocations. So just um, in terms of the additional funding over the medium term, um, which also includes the 2022 appropriations bill is the um, additional funding to social welfare, health, education, infrastructure, peace and security, and then a few other priorities. Next slide. So I will now hand over to the next um, presenter. Thank you, honorable members. Thank you. 
and honorable members, I'll be taking you through to the conflict light, the SOEs and the risks posed to the public finance. Constituent liability refers to the financial obligation on government that arises from a specific event if it occurs. For instance, if the SOEs, they are creditors, government guarantees have to be used to settle the debt that SOEs will have. So this means that militarization of the contingent liabilities plays on public finances. It diverting resources away from pending priorities, and it also has the sustainability of public finances. So any further deterioration in the public finances due to spending priorities or due to the materialization of contingent liability, it could trigger additional credit rating downgrade. It can increase the growing cost and crowding out of both public and private investment. And this may mean that um, they could require some spending cuts. Anyway. So it becomes more critical that government monitors and update the contingent liabilities. One thing to note from this graph uh, below here is that 10 years ago, contingent liability were, were 342 billion, which has increased to um, 1.17 trillion in the current financial year. And it's also projected to increase further over the, the, the medium term. Next slide, please. Then this shows uh, the composition of the contingent liabilities. <laughs> it includes the guarantees to the state-owned companies, the guarantees to the independent producers, guarantees to public-private partnerships, and provision uh, for multi-institution and other <clears throat> and other contingent liabilities. So the guarantees to SOEs and the road accident fund combined, it makes for the 90, it makes a total of 90% of the total contingent liabilities. <clears throat> so one thing to note uh, about the, the road accident fund is that um, it has increased, that one company that has increased of the other contingent liabilities from 54 billion in 2011, 2012, which has increased to 469 billion in the current financial year, and it projected to increase even further. Looking at the bottom left table, we see the proportional share of each of the contingent liability components. We see that the biggest is the accident fund, which makes 40% of the total contingent liabilities, followed by the ESCOM. And looking into the bottom right um, table there, the contingent liability makes 80% of the orange bar, which is the other contingent liability. So it's, it's immensely um, proportionally high. Can we move to the next slide? Um, this slide shows uh, the support to the state-owned enterprises, and the Department of um, Public Enterprise receives uh, 23.9 billion. Apologies, Chairperson and members. This is supposed to be 23.9 billion, not 33 billion. So this appropriation will be used to settle the government current debt, and of this appropriation, 23.9. 
ESCOM received 91.3%, which is the largest, and then um, it's SAA. So Daniel also received, oh, the, the, from the, uh, Daniel was appropriated to 3 billion, which will be used to meet the general obligation. And SASRA also, they received um, 22 billion to secure the high volume of claim, claims and to ensure that the insurer has the sufficient capital to meet its rate requirement. Next slide. Um, companies listed in the Schedule 2 of the Public Finance Management Act are intended to operate as sustainable businesses that generate profits and capital on the strength of their own balance sheets. So these companies, they have powers um, to borrow, like, not like in a public entity. So the financial position of the major stone companies remains under pressure. To the table below of the um, own companies. So for this meet the short term of niche in 2020-2021, most of these companies they had to defer the capital spending on projects to preserve cash. And the deferral resulted in a 6.2% decline in their consolidated asset base. <clears throat> so this decline in the, in the consolidated asset base, it meant that the total liabilities, uh, they also decreased by 11.2%, which was as a result of the government equity injection. So consequently, the higher reduction in the liability resulted in a 7.4% increase in their net value um, of assets. So the continuous delay and underspending on infrastructure projects, it ultimately hampers the capital um, investment. Um, I'll hand to my colleague the next slide. Um, good morning, honorable members, and good morning to my team. Um, I'll be taking us through the last couple of slides here and closing us out. Um, so we wanted to begin here by talking about financial health, and that is not only about what is allocated, but how the money is used and how that therefore impacts future allocations. So here the AGSA has noted um, that high unauthorized expenditure remains a critical issue within financial health indicators for departments in terms of their sustainability. So if you look here, we see expenditure excess revenue. It was about 41.7 4 billion in the 2020-21 year, which then leads us to ask, you know, is the allocation enough or is it that overspending is trending, which the AGSA has um, noted to say that departments are continuously overspending for the next year, which is then impacting their annual budgets themselves. We also look here that a significant number of departments have deficits, um, so that's about 32% of them. And of course, as you've seen, the deficit number there is quite high. Um, there's a number of departments with cash shortfalls. Um, there's a number of departments with bank in overdraft and so forth. But to add to this, um, a total of 1.7 billion has been lost to wasteful expenditure, 64% of which was at the national government. That is a significant amount of money which impacts um, service delivery. 
irregular expenditure as well has increased uh, between 2020 and 2021. Um, it went from 166.9 billion uh, or rather, it became 166.9 billion, um, which is an increase of about 50 billion. But it's also important to note why the irregular expenditure is increasing in this particular different years is because of NSFAS um, and non-compliance due to the um, the, the loan changes, right, this, to the students. Um, next slide, please. Just to say that the key service delivery departments, and I'll note here health, education, and public works, um, which we all know are important, have the poorest financial health of all. 90% of unauthorized expenditure, which is about 15.65 billion, um, can be attributed to these um, departments, health, education, and public works. The some improvement um, in audit outcomes in the third year of this administration. But of course, we have to continuously be wary of the service delivery implications. For example, in health, medical legal claims remain significantly high, which then impacts um, the amounts that uh, depart the department can spend on other goods and services and so forth. So these are the things to note that the AGSC has GSA has called for to accelerate um, really the use of public finances in a way that um, service in a way. So we need to be uh, careful of the low levels of accountability among accounting officers and accounting authorities, um, and a significant amount of um, you know attention has to be paid to internal controls um, and the implementation of preventative controls. So not looking only at the end, somebody has done something wrong and punishing that, but really saying how do we prevent it to begin with. Um, we need to really look at control weaknesses in government's information systems. So we know that IT can be a helper um, in some of the ways that we you know track expenditure and ensure that it's going to the right way and we know where it's going and so forth. But there has been massive project failures on this end and financial loss, um, which need to be looked at, poor decision-making, neglect of inefficiencies. These are things that really we should be looking at to decrease fruitless and wasteful expenditure. And of course, needing to increase oversight, monitoring and assurance. And um, this, of course, partly part of the role of the PBO itself and other entities. Um, and of course, the lack of material compliance with legislation. So as I've noted, NSFIRS and so forth are some of the things that we need to look at in terms of compliance, uh, but also not paying creditors on time. Next slide, please. So we've already gone through this. I'll just quickly go through it as my colleagues have already covered the second adjustments appropriation bill um, in various aspects. As we know, we are still within the COVID time and era. Um, so 500 million is appropriated to procure COVID-19 vaccines, which will be an ongoing um, or consideration for while, while we are living with COVID at this point. Um, and additionally, an amount of 18.1 billion is appropriated to purchase equity from Sasria, um, which has already been um, covered. Next slide, please. Next slide. Okay, thank you. So now I'm just going through our summary of our presentation. Um, just to say thank you for yeah, following through with us. And I think this is just to highlight some of the critical components. Um, the second adjustments bill, which I've just mentioned, was the COVID expenditure and the, the appropriation for SASRIA, uh, but also thinking critically about whether the appropriations itself is in line with the NDP as the economic functions outline. Um, and to remind members that the proportions of the national 
appropriations are compensation of employees about 17.3%, um, goods and services 7.7%, transfers and subsidies 69%. Um, and next slide, please. And of course, we know that this money has been allocated because we know that there's an improved revenue outlook and therefore there's been upward adjustments um, you know, in health, education and police. Uh, but again, reminding us to think about you know, what money is allocated, how it's spent and how that then might reproduce certain issues that we already experience. Um, and also other increases have been made to municipalities and households in the forms of, of the grants, for example. Um, and as well as we've gone through the state-owned entities, which will continue to be something we consider deeply in our budgets going forward, particularly ESCOM in this current context of really um, ongoing uh, blackouts. Um, and so, and SAA Danelle Sastria as well. Thank you. There were a number of questions yesterday by members with regards to Sastria, which I think were very important to consider going forward. Um, next slide, please. And that is all from us, and we will continue to do this work uh, going forward, uh, and we'll now take your questions. Thank you. Uh, uh, thank you, uh, uh, Ms. Milani. Uh, Dr. Olani, any other addition? Um, we are done for the for now with the presentation, um, Honorable Butlesi, and we can continue with the Q and A section. Thank you, honourable members. Uh, good morning again. Can I have indications of honourable members who would like uh, to interact with the presentations? I'm listening. members, any other member? Okay, all members. Um, um, I know we're struggling with uh, the uh, with connectivity. Um, our apologies, um, but uh, uh, the communications have just asked us to try as much as we possibly can to have our videos on. Uh, but obviously, if that's going to affect your connectivity. Uh, I think you can be excused but it shouldn't be the first option to switch off your video. It should be the, um, the, the last result. Honorable Dekhari, let's, let's start with you. Uh, thank you very much, Chairperson, and good morning to everybody. Uh, I have been going in and out of this meeting. I will request that I switch off my video, Chairperson. Can I? Please, please, please continue, uh, Robert Halen. You can switch off your video and yeah. Thank, 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 thank you very much, Uh, uh I'll, I'll also start by apologizing if ever my, my question will be out of the line and not in relation with what they were presenting. I, I have noticed something when they were talking about the budget function, whereby social development is also included. So 
I've seen that they have a protection when it comes to security agency. But my worry is that, Chairperson, uh, the officials in social development are not doing as they are supposed to do. This morning, it was all over the news that uh, they are getting uh, 480 every month when the, 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 the ordinary citizen in South Africa, the, the, those that are qualifying, are receiving their 480. They also receive their 480 while every month they are getting their salary. And the other thing that worries me is that these people are not supposed to be taken to jail. What they, 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 they can do to them is to garnish them and also deduct the money that they, well, they were stealing the money. Let me put it like that. The, the, the money that they stolen can be deducted from their salary every month. So my worry is, will this uh, department ever get the clean audit? The other thing, why are these people not qualifying to go to jail if they steal the money? Well, people are suffering and Tina, we are allowing our officials to do as they wish. And at the end of the day, they are not supposed to go to jail because of their framework, whatever. I, I, I don't even know. I'm actually, I'm angry, Chairperson. Uh, this is not what we are supposed to, to hear and it's not what we are waiting for. And, and, and the other thing, I forgot to, to thank the presenter for the presentation. Thank you very much for the presentation. Thanks, Chair. Thank, thank you, Honorable Dikhale. Honorable Minister, please Yes, thanks, Chairperson, and uh, good morning uh, to all. Uh, let me also start by welcoming the presentation. At least you can see that I'm not a ghost, Chairperson, and uh, can I switch off my video? Yeah, please. Yes. Thank you so much. Chairperson, it's just one question, but it may be elaborate. If uh, I can ask on the cost pressures uh, that uh, National Treasury uh, outlined to us, can I be assisted, uh, Chairperson, in terms of uh, one, uh, prioritizing or even before prioritizing if uh, I can be asked to buy actually the identification of uh, the shortlisted uh, items let me call them items cost items which are referred to as cost pressures and the two if they could be prioritized, linking to uh, the, the, the amounts that attacked to each cost pressure, that is now in terms of priorities. Uh, it, it is just that, uh, but I know that uh, it may be elaborate, it may mean uh, the, the, the PTO to go a little deeper into the budget analysis, but they will see how best to handle it for me. But all I want is a situation where, Chairperson, as we go towards adopting this budget, we are able to look into, uh, is the actually money allocated uh, going for where it is supposed to be as far as the eye of the BTO? Thanks, Chairperson.
Thank you, Honorable Mlenzana. Honorable Taiso. Thank you very much, uh, Honorable Chair. And I also want to thank the presentation made by the Office of the PBO. Uh, so my, my question, uh, my chair is just uh, two questions. Uh, firstly is, I, I want to know from the PBOs whether, uh, can they explain to us how does this, uh, I mean, the appropriation bill express itself in as far as, you know, the mandate of the National Development Plan is concerned, uh, especially the, the priority areas, because I think it's very, very much key uh, to get that understanding. And secondly, my second uh, question is uh, on the issue that the PBO has talked or made reference to, the Russian conflict, uh, which is going to have impact on our economy or the function of the smooth functioning of the economy. But I'm also interested as to what does the PBO say in as far as uh, specific areas of impact, you know. Yes, it is general that uh, globally this is going to affect uh, countries uh, differently, but specifically coming to us, how does the PPO advise us on this in specific impact that we uh, uh, highlight uh, after this question? Well, advise the committee to 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 to, uh, I mean, to respond uh, because they we, we can't just talking of Russian conflict uh, and impact. So let us be specific. Uh, which area, in as far as the uh, macroeconomy is concerned or service deliveries is concerned, are going to be affected, and how should uh, the, the, uh, what kind of a response is needed uh, in as far as that is concerned. And lastly, uh, Chair, is on the issue of this 30-day uh, 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 deadline for, for payment of service providers. I think we've been singing this song for the past, uh, it's over five years, uh, I should think so. So if something does not work, it means there has to be a way that, a new way to make it uh, at least uh, work. So can, can, can the PBO maybe advise us how best can this 30-day uh, uh, period can work uh, so in such a way that it does not become a risk in as far as you, know, uh, uh, you, you said is concerned, including the issue of you know, low level of accountability. Thank you very much, Chair. Thank you, Honorable Kaiso, Honorable Tafam. Thank you very much, Chairperson. Good morning to you and the team PBO, as well as everyone on the platform. Chair, maybe let me start by um, wishing the, or sharing my sincere condolences to the family of uh, the former MP Goldridge Gadi and the entire EFF uh, family for their loss. And I also wish to welcome the presentation that has been made. Uh, it is really assisting in order for us to be able to deliberate further. 
on the topic at hand. I just have a few questions, Chair. Maybe, maybe the first one is just a, a broad one. Where if maybe to find out from the PBO, if whether in their view, if these allocations um, are in line with the NDP priorities, as well as uh, the broader agenda of building a de developmental state. And, and the second one, Chair, it's, it's on the issue that Honorable Kaiso is raising about the payment of uh, suppliers within 30 days or the non-payment, uh, uh, so to speak. My, my question would be, would in the view of the PBO, would they say that these allocations are reflective of all other concerns that this committee has been putting, putting forward? Starting with that one particular issue, there are issues of the bucket uh, toilets in schools, pit latrines that becomes a hazard for our learners and teachers alike, the slow progress in land distribution and, and, and matters like those. Can we safely say that these allocations are responsive to those issues that the committee has been lamenting for years and years and years uh, on end? And I'm raising this chair just to, to also have a sense if whether the allocations are also in line or in response to past performance by departments. When you, when you look at slide 12, the presentation mentions the good contribution to the revenue fund from higher than expected commodity prices. But it also comes back and speaks on the missed opportunity for the total growth for the country due to the state of the export rail lines. And, and this has been an issue that has been ongoing. And I'm sure that expenditure performance will speak to this. So I wanted to find out if either is it linked, if they see any linkage between past performance as well as uh, the particular allocations that we are actually deliberating on. Chair, the fourth one, it's on the redesigned loan guarantee bounce back scheme. Um, can the PBO maybe, if they have identified any, just indicate for us how different is this scheme going to be from the failed 200 billion loan guarantee scheme, which according to many constituencies that we engage with, left all African owned companies, but benefited those companies that are in white hands. And, and, and for me, Chair, it does not help that we seem to be busy, but there are no results. And establishing a scheme after another, when we have not yet identified what are the setbacks that would have led to the previous one failing, for me, it's just busy without expecting any outcome. So my, my interest there is to know how different if uh, any way of this scheme compared to the previous one. Uh, the, the, the last two chair is on the current payments and transfer subsidies, where it is stated that we are sitting at 17.3% of the total allocation. My question would be, has there been any comparison done with other like countries 
particularly in the African continent, in terms of their percentage of compensation of employees vis-a-vis the total allocation, and how do we stand as, as a country? The, the last one, Chair, is on the police allocation. And, and I think it's Dr. Hollandi who mentioned that there's normally a correlation between compensation of employees and goods and services spent. With the police, we have a compensation of employees at 78% and goods and services at 16%. My, my question would be, is there any correlation with, uh, between these two figures with the rising levels of crime and morale of police officers? The view in the streets is that the morale of police officers is low and, and, and there's a growing perception that uh, criminals would say that in South Africa, the only way you will end up in jail is when you are caught red-handed. But if the police do not catch you in the act, they will never be able to pin anything on you because the capacity to investigate, prosecute, and convict, it's very, it's very low. So I'm just interested in, 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 to, in finding out if the 16% is sufficient for the kind of mandate that the police uh, services is carrying for the residents of the of the republic. I will pause there, Chair. Thank you very much for the opportunity to participate in the discussion. Thank you, Oral Matafa. Oral Peters, please come. Chairperson. Oral Peters. Good morning. Good morning. I woke up with some terrible headache, so I'm very sorry. But uh, I, I want to take this opportunity to, to thank the PBO for the presentation. And uh, I just want to indicate that other than Dr. Olandi, I didn't hear the names of the other presenters, but they will pardon me for that. I've got a, I think, uh, Honorable Kaiso covered me, Chairperson, with regard to the Ukraine and and uh, situation, but I just want to add, what degree is the South African economy insulated from that situation in Ukraine between Ukraine and Russia, and also whether, <clears throat> in the view of PBO, the the National Treasury will be required to quickly revise its key assumptions. If that is the case, they, they, and projections, they could give us that indications. That is the, the assumptions and projections for 2023. Uh, uh, Chairperson, I, 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 I want to sound like a broken record and ask the PBO the question I raised with National Treasury yesterday, and that is related to whether they believe that uh, the central non-toll uh, uh, um, allocation should be utilized to support uh, provinces, especially with the major networks. Because if you look at the situation in the country, Chairperson, we are informed that 10% of our very good roads are under central. And about 30% of the good ones are also under Sandral. South Africa, during the time of uh, 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 President Mandela's uh, tenure as the first black president and president of the African National Congress, 
establish this agency, which is seen globally as a doing very well in terms of road construction. If you are doubt, look at what is happening now with the development in with the N2 in the Eastern Cape, with the Umsikaba bridge. That is the best probably in the, in the continent and in the world. And also look at what they are doing, they did with the technology to build the Umgeni interchange in the in the in the in the in in case in, 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 in although the the floods came that is an unnatural uh, 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 that's an act of God they usually say but I don't know God will punish people so heavily Jefferson uh, uh, I, I just want to find out from PBO whether they believe that in the budget of the departments of uh, education, be it the allocation for ECD, which is the, found, uh, uh, the, the building blocks, as well as basic education and higher education, is these allocations able to speak to the quality of, of education that we churn out. Because for me, it is important, Chairperson, yesterday we were informed that if uh, uh, we can produce better uh, outcomes in education, then we will then be able to deal with the challenges of youth unemployment. And I would believe that all these uh, stages are meant to make sure that we can then be able to produce better equipped, better qualified, and better trainable young people in this country so that they can then be available to serve the social as well as the economic sphere. And then, Chaperson, if you look at the health, especially primary health care, let me start with health promotion, primary health care, and other, the care for pregnant women and all those type of interventions. Is the health budget over and above what they're doing with cervical cancer prevention and the interventions they do with EPI, which is the immunization program? I believe that uh, the other thing that needs to be investigated is whether our interventions in health are able to produce, uh, like uh, 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 President Kalima Motlande once said, uh, people with robust bodies that can withstand disease. In that way, then you don't have a situation where our hospitals are packed. Yesterday, I went to the hospital in Kimberley. And I was surprised to see the number of people with broken bones. And all of them say, I fall, I fall, I fall, I fall from the chair, I fall from the bed, I fall in the house, which means that our bones are brittle. It means that there is just something wrong with our uh, uh, bodily systems. Are we adequately uh, 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 preparing the, 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 uh, this thing? And also the, the fact that We've got challenges of obesity. Then the other one, Honorable Matafa covered it, the peace and security uh, 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 area. Is the defense and uh, subs adequately funded to perform their tasks, like Honorable Matafa 
as indicated. Jefferson, you would remember what uh, the defense uh, uh, team said to us when we did uh, oversight. They complained about the budget uh, reductions that has led to them not even being able to repair the artillery and the, the equipment that they, 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 they need. Uh, uh, lastly, Chairperson, uh, I want to know what is the view of, 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 of PBO with regard to the role of human settlements in the rural communities? It is, it is, it is painful. If you see the, 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 the devastation that was caused to our chocolate, uh, Chairperson, you know, the, the mud houses uh, used to be called chocolate houses because they look like chocolate. And you know, chocolate also melts easily. So I think it is important that we get to know in PPO's view, is human settlement adequately geared and, and funded to be able to do that? But lastly, Chairperson, what is the relationship between PBO, DPME and National Treasury with regard to evaluating the impact of these budgets that we are talking to. And, and uh, yes, let me end there, Chairperson. I think today I have uh, taken too much of your time. Thank you, Chair. Perfect, Honorable uh, uh, Peters. Thank you very much, Honorable Members. Uh, let me check. Uh, is there another Honorable Member who would like to come in? Uh, we haven't spoken. Okay. Uh, or would the Khaled do you have something that would uh, add to, uh, to your questions? No, thank you, Chairperson. No, thanks, Chairperson. I'm fine, except to, to say that in my question, you know, uh, my memory was joked by Honorable Dipur, where she added uh, an element of a uh, the measuring the intensity uh, of uh, the work that has to be done when prioritizing uh, those, uh, what I call uh, the cost pressures. Thanks, Chepesi. Thank you, Orabul and Nenzan Rol Kaiso. Yes, Chair. Uh, maybe just one question more <clears throat> is uh, we, we talk about uh, during the presentation, the, the area or the issue of infrastructure development has uh, also, you know, uh, surfaced very well. And then the, the issue of uh, state-owned enterprises or state-owned companies, their performance also has reflected uh, during the presentation. Now, I want to take the, uh, the two issues because I think they are also related, you know, the issue of you know, uh, infrastructure development and as well as uh, uh, <clears throat> uh, some state-owned enterprise because they are their performance is, is largely, you know, uh, has a way that up, affect the, the, the infrastructure development. Now, in the light of this poor performance of, the, of this uh, entity, 
entities. How does the PBO uh, foresee a situation where now infrastructure development uh, would you know, be fast-tracked? Yes, that is the question. Thank you, Arun Kaiso, Arun Atafa. Do you have any issue? Yeah, thank you, Chair. Just, just one on the issue of the policy stance by uh, National Treasury of uh, fiscal consolidation, where we are actually prioritizing budget cuts as well as a reprioritization. Is, is, is it uh, possible that um, this position can be maintained? by Treasury uh, without risking the issue of deteriorating capacity in line department. And, and we are raising on this one, Chair, because there is an expected surplus uh, by 2023. If it is not realized, what then? Will this policy stance continue? And what are the risks should it continue, particularly looking at the development of capacity in line departments? to, amongst others, be able to deal with issues of irregular expenditure, maladministration, and poor performance. That is the only one, Chairperson. Thank you very much. Thank you, Roma Tafa. Titas, do you have anything to add? Thank, thank you, Chairperson, uh, for the uh, parcella. Uh, I just want to find out the view of uh, PBO with regard to internally uh, procured, let me make an example, uh, the procurement of uh, departments of services or products that are made by a government entity. I, I What do you call it, Chairperson? Maybe you'll correct the financial English. Is it state-to-state procurement, something like that? And what is the view of the PBO on, on, on with regard to the main thing for this year's budget, other than looking at the sauna and 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 um, the, the 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 budget as tabled by the, the minister, in 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 PBO's view, what is the core theme of this 2022 budget? Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Honorable Peters. Thank you, Honorable Members. Um, let me uh, start by joining the Honorable Members and, 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 and pass condolences to the uh, uh, Gadi family and, and, and EFF. Uh, this, uh, the, the crime that has been committed uh, is just heinous. There's, there's something definitely going wrong uh, in, in, in our country. And uh, as um, <clears throat> we are therefore calling on the police to leave no stone unturned in bringing the treaties to, to book so that we can demonstrate that uh, a crime uh, does not pay uh, and it's, it's worse, uh, this uh, <clears throat> violence against the women, especially our, our, our children. Is disgusting to say the least. Coming back to the presentation, Dr. Tavalani and your team, thank you very much for the uh, for, for for the for the presentation and uh, the issues that we are raising there. <laughs> Let me start with, with broad questions. Uh, uh, the first one will be 
broadly speaking, if you look at our at our budget, would you say that the, the the problem that we are facing it's a money problem or it's something else, something bigger than just money? Because they say that sometimes you throw money into the problem, the problem never disappears. If the answer is there's something else, please just share from your own opinion what you think those those things are. <clears throat> Related to that question is that uh, despite uh, the budget of about two trillion rand, um, <clears throat> the main indicators that we always talk about that we want to impact on, which is unemployment, inequality, and poverty, are all going the wrong direction. Uh, with in, 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 inequality uh, being said to be uh, the highest inequality in the world, as per the World Bank uh, <coughs> publications. Um, and that becomes problematic because in, in South Africa, again, that inequality goes along racial lines. If you like, black people are mostly on the receiving end of, of this. <laughs> you agree with, uh, uh, with me that unequal society, societies uh, are the most unstable societies in the world. And investors don't want to go to unstable societies. So there is that linkage as far as this inequality to our desire to try and grow the economy. So the question is, from your side, what do you think that the, the problem is? Yeah, all the indicators that we are trying to deal with are going the wrong direction. And I'm picking out perhaps inequality where even the World Bank agrees that uh, it's the most, we are the most unequal country in the world. So um, if you could just put it uh, in, in plain uh, uh, Chinese language, exactly what the problem is, uh, <clears throat> because here we are, uh, we are sitting in this budget and these indicators uh, are just going the wrong direction. Uh, I know there's an oral member who asked this question, but uh, let me add to it. Um, in your presentation, you are saying, as a country, we are not taking advantage of high commodity prices. <clears throat> Do you perhaps have a figure of what we are losing? Uh, uh, <clears throat> what we are losing because of us not taking advantage of this? As you know, that commodity prices, uh, they are never stable. They soon be coming down. But where we are, uh, what are we losing as, 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 as a country? <clears throat> and also share the committee, the main contributors in us not being able to take full advantage of the boom of, uh, of the commodity prices. Um, you, you, you say in your presentation that the, uh, in what you are presenting on the, the bill, does not, uh, it excludes the detail of parliament. Uh, can you say more on, on to that and perhaps do you know why is that being excluded? Military, military veterans department, uh, you, you said about 46% percent of the budget is spent on goods and services. Uh, my question is, what is the main function of this department? 
And when you do talk about 46% of the budget, which is an outlier uh, going to goods and, and, and services, does that not uh, um, compromise the core function of the, of the department? Um, <clears throat> <laughs> then we talk about uh, the guarantees that uh, uh, the budget or working, I think we're talking about the risk, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, I was just saying, what are the guarantees when it comes to IPPs and triple P? And, and triple P? And next question. Uh, <clears throat> is it prudent financially? For instance, if you take the NEL and then you, you just recapitalize the NEL to, uh, for instance, take care of uh, debts which are maturing, um, is, it, is, is it prudent? Because it means the following year again, you find yourself in a similar situation because that doesn't enhance the capacity of a company like the NEL. What's, what's your comment? Uh, Ms. Sibeko. Uh, when we when we making reference to the eighteen point one billion rand to Sasra, you spoke about buying equity. Uh, do you want to revisit that? Because my understanding is that already Sasra is hundred percent owned by, by by government. Is it not perhaps the recapitalization by shareholder of, of Sasra then rather than buying equity? Those would be my questions, uh, Dr. Olandi. Uh, back to you. Uh, you answer all the questions, and you'll only return the meeting back to us once you have finished with your team. So, uh, back to you. Thank you. Thank you, Honorable Chairperson. I will start, but just. Um, also to indicate, um, we've got a lot of questions in terms of sector-specific questions, and we might not be able to answer those specific questions. And if needed, one can do analysis, budget analysis, um, on those specific sectors. Um, but I will start, and then I'll hand over to Siraj Mohammed, and then our other presenters can also come in. Um, after, after Siraj. Just in terms of the budget functions and the social development and the first question about um, the staff that also receives grants, I think that links with what the AG finding was also um, in terms of the internal controls. Um, so in terms of just normal reporting, um, it's not possible to be able to pick that up, um, but perhaps the internal controls and some more um, recommendations from the AG can be followed up in terms of that. In terms of the cost pressures, um, yesterday we learned from the National Treasury that they've, um, they've done um, more than 200 reviews. Um, I'm convinced that those reviews um, will reveal um, 
what kind of cost pressures there's, they are, what kind of programs are not working or not effective or not efficient, and what other programs might be able to assist um, in terms of um, performance of these departments that they've done the reviews on. Um, definitely, Honorable Melenzena, um, much more deeper analysis is identified in terms of cost pressures and specific items. Um, I've done a few analysis in terms of the, the total appropriations just to identify specific items because um, there was some discussion in Parliament specifically in terms of what we spend on, on entertainment or, um, or flights, for example. Um, and I did some um, analysis on that, but I, I didn't present it today. Otherwise, um, the presentation might have been too long, but we can do some um, specific analysis on specific items in terms of the, the total appropriations bill. Um, in terms of um, if the budget expresses the, the requirements of the NDP and the medium-term strategic framework, at this stage, members, um, it's very difficult to align or specifically get the link between the 2019-24 um, medium-term strategic framework and the budget. Because as we also indicated is that initially the, the function groups um, were developed to get the linkage be between the, um, the budget and the priorities. But now with the 2019-24 medium-term strategic framework, the priorities has changed, but the function groups um, has not changed. So it's very difficult to make that specific alignment. The only way we can try and do the alignment, and we've started a project also um, that we will present um, per output during the course of the year, um, is to basically um, really look into which departments exactly um, we can link to a specific uh, priority and what the department's responsibility is in terms of outputs and whether those outputs are um, presented in the annual performance plans because the only link that we can make is if it's in your annual performance plan, it, it will be funded. If it's not in your annual performance plan, it means it's not funded. Um, and also, if those outputs are not in the annual performance plan, you basically don't directly report on it. Um, or we as the PBO or Parliament does not have access to those reports because they are not in terms of the standard um, reporting in the standard reporting system. That, that is what we indicated. Those reports are either going to the department or the DPME um, um, twice a year or, or just to cabinet or the president. In terms of the 30-day payments, uh, Bruce Seawick can also um, talk about that. That was also an AG finding. And there's a lot of reasons in terms of why departments still pay, not pay within um, 30 days. It might be technical, it might be financial. Siraj can answer the question on the Ru Russian conflict. And then in terms of Honorable Matafa also spoke about the, the non-payment. Um, 
And in terms of the infrastructure development, um, I um, notice on your program, you will also have a, a meeting or a hearing with Department of Public Works and Infrastructure. And there's a lot of developments in terms of um, um, new institutions that will manage the infrastructure fund, but there's still a lot of uncertain, uncertainty in terms of where the money is and whose responsibility it is to implement um, um, the, the, the in, or spend the infrastructure fund and the projects linked to those funds. Um, loan guarantees, current payments. Um, we haven't done analysis in terms of the proportions and I also don't know if there is a standard in terms of um, the proportion spend on COE and goods and services um, because each and every sector or each and every department is basically different. Um, you can't really make a standard call, but as I said, normally if you do the analysis, it's normally the there is a correlation between COE and goods and services. Specifically on the police, members, I don't have the answer in terms of um, how we can address the low morale. There might be a lot of um, uncertainty, uncertainties because they are also restructuring in the police service. And also the, the capacity, um, uh, it's only the, the police service actually, or the reviews might actually indicate whether they have enough policemen or enough resources um, to address all the needs that we have in the country. Um, in terms of um, the Ukraine, Sandro and the, and the toll, um, um, I can't answer those specific questions at this stage. In terms of the quality education, there has been done such a lot of, of research on the skills requirements, um, but we don't really see that, that the requirements or the, the change in the, in the different programs or courses provided by universities and TVET colleges um, has been changed. So they, we still need to um, make a lot of changes to address the, um, the skills requirements that we need in the country. Um, I have looked at some of the, the outputs or the targets set in terms of these things they have been changed, but we don't um, achieve those targets. In many instances in the education, we don't, um, especially when we look at the targets that we've set, we've set for maths and science, we don't achieve those targets. Um, perhaps one should also look at other policies, basically, to address that. There was one suggestion by the DPME, basically, to, to look at... Um, the teachers or uh, more support for teachers that uh, or educators in terms of maths and science, how to, to train more of those. Um, um, adequate funding for peace and security, we don't know what will be adequate. Perhaps the reviews will also show, um, give us more insight into that. Um, our view on human settlements. Um, human settlements is 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 um, they do have a mandate, but they also transfer their their, their budgets, and um, 
then we might also look at what the reporting system or the monitoring and evaluation system they have in terms of following up on the projects that are implemented by either the provincial government or the um, the local government and it's also funded mainly by conditional grants so again the monitoring of the conditional grants um, will be important in terms of human settlements our relationship with the national treasury and dpme um, in terms of monitoring um, we do have a relationship with the dpme dpme um, do share some of the documents with us um, in terms of the National Treasury, um, the National Treasury um, normally provides us with a lot of information in terms of the data. If we need data to do our analysis, um, we do liaise with the National Treasury. In terms of fiscal con consolidation, Siraj can answer that. Um, um, we don't have a view on procurement. There are a lot of procurement policies, um, and that is also the mandate of the National Treasury in terms of those policies and changing and, and monitoring those policies. Um, Honorable Budalesi, in terms of the problems, is it money? Um, is it something else? I think it's a combination. It, it's definitely not always money. Um, there are other technical issues and um, yes and capacity issues in government and again we can refer to the reviews and I think the reviews will also reveal some of those issues whether it's problem uh, what the problems are whether it's money inefficiencies capacity um, or whether it is just um, in terms of uh, not setting the correct outputs um, but slow change in terms of if you realize these outputs um, does not achieve the outcomes that you really want to make the changes because we see uh, the outputs in APPs basically stays the same we add outputs regularly in terms of medium-term strategic framework in terms of priorities that has been set by the um, president and then how we fund those priorities, but we don't see those outputs within APPs. So if it's not in the APP, um, there's no reporting on it um, within the normal or the standard uh, system that that National Treasury and DPME provides for reporting, monitoring and evaluation. Um, why we exclude Parliament? Parliament has got their own uh, Financial Management Act, the FMPPLA. So um, they don't provide the National Treasury with, with a chapter to include in the ENE. So we don't have the breakdown uh, per program and per economic classification in the ENE. Um, it's also not presented in the appropriations bill. The uh, FMPPLA actually provides for the parliament to produce their own appropriations bill, um, but um, we haven't seen that appropriations bill tabled or referred to, to the appropriations committee. So we do not have that information um, in terms of um, the, the, the main divisions or the economic, economic classific uh, 
classification at this stage of Parliament. Um, the military veterans, um, um, I'm trying quickly to see the, the mandate, but we can answer you on the military veterans. Um, but what I do know that I've seen, they really do use a lot of um, consultants or contractors um, in terms of the goods and services, and that might be the reason for the higher um, goods and services um, budget, but we can do a, a short analysis on the budget and we can provide the um, committee with that information. So I will stop the members and then I'll hand over to Siraj and then Siraj can hand over to um, our other colleagues that can answer the remainder of the questions. Okay. Um, thank you, uh, Honourable Chair. Thank you, Nelia. Um, I uh, hope you can hear me clearly. Um, yes, I think there were some really um, deep and fundamental issues raised um, by, by honorable members, um, quite a few of them. And I think I've, I've been trying to, instead of going through them one by one, looking for um, the themes. And, and I think one of the things that, we, uh, that has come out both from honorable Matafa and um, honorable Peters uh, questions, and I think it's also to some extent uh, uh, implicit in what Honorable Kaisu was asking, was about, you know, is expenditure adequate? Um, and, and linked to that, the question that um, Honorable Matafa asked about um, government um, reducing uh, expenditure. Um, and, and I think as we as we get into appropriations um, and we uh, we look at the the amounts being allocated and uh, where they're being allocated, you know, I think the point that that Nelia uh, made is 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 a very good one in terms of looking at how the NDP and MTF are, are sort of aligned um, uh, and the budget is aligned to that, but also in terms of the the different function groups and whether they can play that role. But there's also the bigger uh, issue, which I, I think is um, what honorable members were getting to, is that you know we, we're seeing more and more need, um, and and we're seeing in in across uh, all the different functions this concern about um, uh, cutting expenditure and um, and and more and more need, and not being able to meet those needs. And I think linked to that is the question about. Um, you know, uh, what, what Honorable Patelesi was asking was, is this a money problem or is it something else? And I think people often point to capacity. Um, and so the question about, I think, the, 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 the financing and the capacity are, are important there. Um, so I think maybe the first point I would like to make re regarding those uh, is that you know, we 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 talk. Um, there's been a lot of talk about zero-based budgeting and starting from scratch. And I think that, um, uh, you know, we've, the PBO has shared our views on that. But I think that when we start thinking through things like zero-based budgeting, we shouldn't talk about that without thinking through then starting from scratch and looking at what the needs are and how much is being allocated. We've been working from year to year and increasing things incrementally and trying to shift things around. There's been a, there was an effort to increase um, the number of people working in the state and building state capacity to deliver, and also to uh, uh, 
you know, at, at the time, um, uh, in the period shortly after the global financial crisis, um, when, when, when uh, government was starting to look at the, the move to fiscal consolidation, there was also recognition that we would start losing um, nurses and teachers and doctors unless we uh, adjusted their, their salaries. And so this issue of are we spending enough and what kind of capacity we have um, and, and linked to then the, 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 the uh, approach of being taken in terms of fiscal consolidation and then linking cost of employment and, and trying to freeze or, or reduce the size of cost of employment is, is very much linked to that notion of are we being effective and do we have the capacity? And I think one of the problems we may be seeing is that uh, in, in, in trying to now slow down the, the increases in cost of expenditure, which we realize we need that for better service delivery and to provide the kind of capacitation of a state to play its developmental uh, role and uh, deliver on um, providing for people's basic needs, where we, we sort of uh, are now uh, reversing some of that. And we may be losing some of the expertise and also the capacity and institutional memory of, of the increases during that time. In, in I think a few years ago when we presented on uh, the issue of um, wage freezes and cost of employment, we also raised the issue of uh, that, you know, during that um, mid-2010s uh, mid period, 2013-14-15, um, that the, the general government was one of the major employers of high-skilled people. And, and that was seen, I think, as a really necessary part of building capacity um, and state capacity. And, and now we may be actually then trying to look at reducing that capacity. Um, and so, and, and within highly skilled and skilled uh, employment, uh, so I'm talking about as uh, one of the major employers in the country, you know, we, we, we may then end up seeing uh, lots of those skills and, and the private sector not necessarily picking up that skills because of the lack of adequate levels of investment and growth and employment within in the private sector, notwithstanding sort of the, the areas where they mention lack of skills. So there are serious issues, I think, um, yeah, within that, uh, that process. And so, so it raises, I think, for me, really important issues about what the impacts of fiscal consolidation has been and uh, the ability to spend enough. And that, that brings, as to the question of, um, you know, in, in things like we, we spoke about the, the problems with infrastructure, maintenance, um, the SOEs, uh, et cetera. And I think one of the, the problems with cutting expenditure and fiscal consolidation is that we then end, we, we inadequately maintain, we inadequately spend on providing basic services. Um, uh, one of the, I think it was Honorable Peter spoke about education and housing, um, the impacts that that have on people's resilience to pandemics and also to, to things like the, the, the floods um, and other, other um, natural disasters then becomes lower. And, and so to some extent, maybe we can think of that inadequate expenditure as, as sort of a contingent liability in, in, the, in the sense that later we're gonna have to spend more because more people will get sick There'll be bigger disasters and we'll have to rebuild and we'll have to, uh, people will lose jobs, the economy will decline, but government will have to keep 
um, trying to 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 meet those needs. And so I think that the, there is, a, uh, in my view, a real uh, need to rethink our approach, how much we're spending, and what that means in terms of how we finance it. And, and how much debt the country should be taking on, rather than in terms of trying to say we're chasing certain debt to GDP targets and fiscal deficit targets and trying to achieve surpluses within two or three years, but to look at the needs, what not meeting those needs are, and the costs that we may incur later. Um, so so I, 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 just to come back to the, 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 the question of Honorable Putelezi, is it a, a money issue? Is it another issue? And I think when it comes to state capacity, cost of employment, and the public sector expertise and, and, and ability to deliver, those two are integrally related. And, and then again, related to that is what we're not doing in terms of building capacity, maintaining, building new capital equipment, et cetera. And this argument that there's a trade-off between cost of employment and capital expenditure, infrastructure development, um, paying social grants, I think we really need to rethink seriously because we actually need the state capacity. We need the expertise within government. We need more numbers uh, to be able to provide that. And um, uh, I think it was Honorable Batafa who asked the question about, you know, how do we compare in terms of cost of employment with other countries? And um, I think in general, South Africa sort of falls in the middle and probably below, but we, we, we really need to look at the different needs and the fact that South Africa is a developing country where there are huge needs in terms of development, providing increased uh, and improved and deeper um, quality of, of, of basic services, of health, in education, employment. Um, and so the, we need to actually have more of that capacity within the state um, and to build that capacity in the state to be able to deliver that. We also need to spend money on fixing problems because we might say, you know, there's a lot of wasteful expenditure, there's lots of corruption, there's a possibility of state capture. But, I mean, as we saw with the Zondo Commission and the cost of uh, having that kind of commission to say, well, we now want to clean up our house, we actually have to spend a lot of money to get to that point where we can say, this is how we're going to um, deal with those who have been corrupt, those who have facilitated state capture. And, and, and then we're going to see more money needed on um, charging, prosecuting, uh, and also the cost of the, hopefully detaining some of those people. Um, so, so, so there are all kinds of costs in that. And I don't think we're adequately taking that into account because we're chasing certain kinds of targets, which are, uh, which actually shouldn't be the final target. The final target should be, I think, as, as Honorable Lazy was talking about, was reducing unemployment, poverty, and inequality. And, and just to reinforce that point, that inequality is a major, major constraint on the ability of a country to develop, to grow, to, uh, and we see it impacting negatively on all kinds of aspects of our lives in terms of health, in terms of crime levels, in terms of um, people uh, destroying state <clears throat> uh, infrastructure and facilities to be able to sell, um, you know, scrap metals and, and other things. Um, and also in terms of just protests and, and uh, expressing their unhappiness because they feel they're not being heard. 
So, um, so I think yeah, we the the uh, the huge number of issues, and I think as we thinking about how much money we're appropriating, the the broader issue of the fiscal framework um, is coming uh, more clearly into view there. Um, yeah, I'm going to um, move from this point. I've, I've still got a lot to say about it, but I think I've taken a lot of time and I've given my my, my general opinion on that. Uh, just on the the issue of the Ukraine um, uh, and and what that will how that will impact on the South African economy. Now, the South African economy has become more and more integrated into the global economy, and so levels of growth within the global economy when it's affected by a, 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 a kind of fairly large shock like the what's happening in Ukraine does impact on the South African economy, both in um, demand for our, uh, the goods we export. Um, and, and in some of those goods, we're actually seeing the prices are higher, but as, as, as uh, was correctly said by uh, the PBO, and I think um, also by Honorable Butelezi, we're not actually seeing the, the, the ability to benefit from those price increases. I'll come to that, uh, that point in a second uh, when it comes to the, the mining industry. Um, but I think what we're seeing is that the, the, the biggest side of the shock is in terms of food prices and in terms of fuel prices. Now, what, what we're seeing in commodity markets generally is because of increased financialization of the global economy, there's a, a, a bigger alignment with the price of food and other and commodities and, and the, the movements in financial markets. And so even if we are not a big importer of from and we we don't rely on wheat and and other things um other grains and uh, and even um, imports directly of oil um and and petroleum products from from the Ukraine and Russia we are affected by what what by that alignment within forward markets um with the prices of futures the, the future prices allocated for maize um, and, and oil and all those things. And so we do see that putting an upward pressure on the South Africa's um, costs as well. Um, the link to that are the input prices are increasing. So things like um, uh, chemicals for fertilizers, chemicals for, for other products, et cetera. So we are, we are seeing, and then uh, um, my, my colleague spoke about the, the the, the supply side inflation, um, so we, uh, because of things linked to uh, the disruption of value chains, the movement of goods, etc., um, and and we're seeing all that. And and to some extent, those were those have become bad because of of the pandemic and the impact the pandemic has had on um, on different countries' abilities to produce and to transport things. We're seeing that playing out again in China. Um, and China basically closing down a city like Shanghai, which is a, a hugely important um, economy in itself and, and, and provider of exported products into the world. So, so we, we, we are going to see all those impacting on us. And I think the question that, um, that Honorable uh, uh, Peters asked is, you know, does that mean that Treasury needs to, to change the, the assumptions uh, as they do their um, forecasts and projections. Um, and I think in terms of their the models and the, the global prices for 
for oil and food, I would assume that they've already started doing that. We haven't seen the latest forecast. Um, the, the numbers that are coming out from the IMF and World Bank are sort of uh, mentioning lower global GDP growth um, and looking at different regions, but we're not seeing that impact as much on Sub-Saharan Africa and South Africa. Um, but I think as, as uh, more and more work is done on the projections, not only from National Treasury, but from the UN agencies, the World Bank, the IMF, and also the Reserve Bank, we, I think we, we'd see some more um, changes uh, coming forward. Um, now, now, just linked to the Ukrainian war and the impact, the, the, the PBO in the past few presentations has been warning about the way in which we think about risks and risk to the fiscal framework uh, in particular, but generally risk to the economy and saying that we need to be taking into account increased geopolitical issues. I mean, we, we haven't spoken about in the last two years or so, there have been five coups in African countries. So uh, fairly on our doorstep in a sense, we're seeing increased um, uh, geopolitical uh, <laughs> issues, more, more conflict. We saw um, within Ethiopia recently, uh, hopefully that is um, settling down now, but we saw the possibility of very big uh, changes there linked to um, internal strife. So, 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 so things like geopolitical risks, the changes linked to uh, climate change, fires, flooding, uh, um, droughts, um, things, uh, and, and as uh, uh, Honorable Budalesi was talking about inequality and the growing social disruptions and internal disruptions linked to inequality within countries are all risks that we need to take more seriously and to sort of uh, factor into our thinking about um, about the, uh, this economy. So, so the I mean, we're seeing all this confluence of factors. We're seeing increasing numbers of uh, geopolitical events, climate change events, um, things linked to inequality, um, growth in uh, far right groups and their impacts, etc. Um, around the world. And so, so we, I th uh, when thinking through what the, the fiscal framework is and the risk to that, I think it's important uh, to do that. Um, the last issue I want to touch on is, uh, I think it was also Anubu Telezio asked about uh, SOEs and infrastructure, the IPPs and the PPPs. Um, the general point I want to make about that is that <clears throat> There's this idea across developing countries, um, and I think it's coming very much from the, the influence of the research of uh, organizations like the OECD, the IMF, and the World Bank, is to see the delivery of services and the growth in infrastructure development, especially social infrastructure development, linked to that as a, as a financing issue. And that the, and to basically say that, you know, especially with COVID, but even before COVID, to say that governments don't have the fiscal space. And I think this brings us back to this issue about thinking through what governments spend, how much contingent liabilities they take on. Because the, the, the approach that's being taken is that the, the private sector now needs to step in because they have the finance and they can, they can do those projects. Um, uh, or finance projects, uh, and, and we can use PPPs, et cetera. But what we, I think one of the problems with that is, is that it brings in more and more uh, fin financing global uh, financial markets, securitization of debt, and this process of financialization. 
uh, where we basically securitize debt and the debt is then bought on in different markets. And the problem with that is, um, <clears throat> is that the, the requirements of those people who are buying the debt and the agencies that are organizing the, the provision of the debt is that they, uh, they require the PPPs to get government to provide them with increasing uh, reduction of potential risks, including uh, you know, minimum revenue agreements, uh, provisions of different kinds of services, et cetera. And so, so even though the state is not having to take a lot of that expenditure on budget and that seen as the private sector contributing and the state being able to leverage infrastructure um, <clears throat> investment by, by sort of providing that kind of facilitation process, we do risk putting more and more uh, of, of the, the costs and the future costs linked to the kind of reducing the risk for the private sector, especially those in the financial markets um, who are going to be buying and trading the developing country debt uh, for infrastructure from uh, and, and also the, the shares of the PPP companies. Um, we, we, we're taking on more and more risks that we will face uh, in the future. And there's been quite a bit of work done on that. And we're seeing in developed countries, less reliance, especially now as they're increasing government expenditure and responding to COVID and other, and trying to stimulate the economies through infrastructure spending. There's, there's um, I think, a, 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 a pressure on them to, to do fewer PPPs, even though PPPs are still a, a big part of the programs. Uh, in there, um, I, I don't know if uh, um, my colleague Chipper wants to come in uh, next. Um, thank you. Uh, thank you very much, Dr. Suraj, uh, Chairperson, Honorable Members. Uh, I think, yeah, uh, Dr. Suraj did touch uh, largely on the questions around the, the Russia-Ukraine, but uh, there was just uh, one other question as it relates to the question of why are we not uh, taking advantage of the community boom? And I think Dr. Suraj just touched briefly on, on some of the challenges in the mining sector, but uh, a huge part of it also has to do, as I mentioned, with the, the severe problems that we see in the transport network infrastructure, uh, specifically as it relates to the inefficiencies in transnet export rail lines, as well as port facilities. So as a result, from a current account point of view, uh, what we're currently seeing is that the country is certainly benefiting from an exports values point of view, given the high prices of coal of our pref of our PGMs. And uh, on the other side, we seem to be foregoing the export volumes, given our limited freight rail constraints. Then uh, there was a question about the bounce back scheme uh, that was proposed by Treasury. Uh, just to report that uh, we're currently doing some research and preparing a brief in terms of the implications of the scheme. But uh, some of our preliminary observations include the mere fact that we are observing that uh, under the new scheme, uh, uh, which includes now banks, uh, DFI institutions, development financial institutions, and non-bank SMNE finance providers. Uh, these institutions still have a sole discretion on which businesses they provide finance to. Now, this has got significant implications, as you, you will know that, uh, for example, financial institutions are inherently 
uh, or are risk adverse when it comes to the provision of finances towards SMMEs. But we're also seeing that it's got the potential to also entrench the misallocation of capital problem that the country currently faces. And by this, we mean that uh, the situation where we constantly see the financing of large enterprises in sectors such as mining and utilities, professional services, at the expense of job creating uh, small SMMEs in sectors such as manufacturing. And I think if the latest uh, investment uh, summit proposals are anything to go by, those still show what the appetite or how investors are still allocating their money towards the South African economy. Then there would be the issue that Saraj also uh, touched on quite briefly around the financialization of the South African economy and more broadly the global economy, which means that uh, financial institutions st are still able to remain profitable without investing in the real economy and creating uh, sustainable jobs. We're also observing that the, the bounce back support scheme uh, in its own will not fundamentally address the financial and operational challenges that are faced by SMEs in South Africa. And as a result, uh, there's a need to ensure that there are other business and financial interventions which will be required to make sure that uh, sustainable jobs are created and that uh, SMEs spare inclusive growth. The other issue would be the, the scheme's lack of a transformation mandate as it relates to race, gender, age, sectors, and therefore arguing that priority must also be given to businesses that were hit the hardest by the respective economic shocks. Then lastly, and more broadly, I think the, the main issue is the mere fact that the new scheme in itself is still implemented through a financial system architecture that's simply not suitable for the informal the township and rural nature of many of South Africa's SMMEs. I'll leave it there. Thank you, Chair. If I may, I think there were some questions left for me. Um, so just to, to briefly talk about the issue of uh, the payment of service providers, I think what the AGSA has um, really highlighted, and then it's great that this, this committee has been highlighting this issue, has said that some improvement has been made, but what is ultimately needed is an acceleration um, of the, you know, the, the, the implementation of, to resolve these issues. And so one of the things that they highlight is that it needs to be at the top of the agenda um, for various government entities to ensure that this full-scale implementation and accelerated at that, not just the implementation. I think critical to this issue of the inability to pay creditors on time is this financial pressure question, um, which links back to the broader questions of, you know, is it enough money, is it not, and what, and, and so forth. But to say that the average payment is 70 days and the AGSA raises this issue that about most of the, the entities that don't pay on time, it is because they are in financial distress and actually more than 10% have un unrecoverable debt. Um, so we're looking at entities entities that are really struggling and don't have the money. And so we have to have a broader question about what happens in those cases, because clearly um, the financial distress is leading to delayed payments, which is impacting the businesses, which is then impacting those people who work for those businesses. And so the whole ecosystem of it is something to, to be taken seriously. I just wanted to add as well to what um, Siraj spoke about earlier to say, you know, some of the questions about health, um, which we've all discussed, and there were some questions raised about health, 
we've noted that infant mortality, for example, is regressing. Um, you know, so we've got more infant mortalities and that have increased between 2019 and 2020. And the question is, what is the trend going forward? And of course, this is a complex issue, a question about you know, what is the policy outcomes, which Nelia spoke about, um, money is spent, but what are the actual outcomes on the ground? But to link this to the broader question of medical legal claims, right? Um, so if we're saying medical legal claims are straining the health budget, um, which obviously medical legal claims are driven by a number of factors, uh, but how do we diagnose the problem and how it relates to the appropriations themselves and therefore the implementation of the budget? I think that's certainly something we need to talk about um, more strongly in that. I think those were all um, the questions for me. Thank you. Oh, and just to note that, yeah, the, the slide that uh, I spoke about, I think it's better captured on slide um, 21. Um, the 18 billion was to settle the high levels of claims. So it was not equity um, purchases. Um, thank you, um, colleagues and Honorable Butelezi. Um I just want to mention just something um, just before we conclude, um, if members don't have um, additional questions, is that there was a reason that we also um, presented to you the, the whole issue of the function groups. And the Treasury actually also indicated that they already found a lot of duplication in terms of service delivery. So obviously there's a lot of duplication in funding the same services. So does the whole functional group process and the technical group process really works? Because at those discussions, of, they, they need to discuss um, their mandate and their functions. And if there is a duplication, then, then um, departments or the um, executives, they must, they, they must give and take and realize where they duplicate and which services we need to stop and where we need to um, create new, new outputs or services if there is duplication. Um, um, lately, I've, I've experienced um, services that are actually requested from, from some of the entities of government and all of those entities, small entities, they really, um, they, they couldn't provide the, the service that are required from them. So um, we can discuss all those, those issues, but we still spend money on, on those entities. We transfer money to them, um, but they really don't, either they're not capacitated to assist communities or citizens, um, or or, or they, they, they just don't deliver on the mandate or the outputs. Um, and that is just in con con conclusion. So I think um, we are done with our um, feedback. Thank you, Honorable Portalesi. Thank you, Dr. Olani and your team. Um, um, obviously, there are other things that uh, need to have further uh, invest investigation. Um, but I, I just can you pick up one error that you didn't cover? I, I used Denet as an, as, an, as an example, where I was saying, do you think that is an optimal way of, 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 of dealing with uh, this institution just by 
uh, financing the debt that is due without ensuring that the following year they are not going to come back to us again uh, with another uh, debt which is maturing. Remember that that question was to take it. Um, but uh, as you take that question, I I use that as an example, but I'm sure it's applying in other SOEs. Um, number two, um, <clears throat> Dr. Siraj, the, the way that we finance our debt, do you think is the, uh, is the most cost-effective one, or are there other examples somewhere where uh, the debt is being dealt with at a more cost-effective way? Okay, Dr. Landy. Siraj, do you want to respond to the date? Um, yeah, I, I think that's that's a question that we are going to have to do um, some some research on and 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 get back to the committee, uh, possibly in writing. Um, so yeah, I apologize. That the, I think I feel um, uh, no. that we, we don't have enough information at this point to answer that question. Thanks. No, no. Um, that was definitely an, an, an ambush, and uh, I, I thought it is an error that we might have looked into, but that's, 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 that's fine. But it's a really important question, and we will look into it, uh, Honorable Chair. Uh, the question of um, the way in which we finance our debt and it is cost efficient, I think this is, this is one of the big questions that we're seeing in, in the discussion around the world in public finance. And, and it's, uh, it's been a question that um, especially with the growth in the use of quantitative easing in developed countries and then the increasing use of it uh, uh, in 2020 by some developing countries, um, it has come on the agenda. And, and um, I mean, there's, there's, there's uh, I think uh, the, the period is, is, is a bit short, especially for developing countries to look at, you know, whether developing countries are more able to use um, and an impact on the interest rates that they pay through through getting financing from um, the central banks and, uh, and and the central banks playing a larger role through through measures like quantitative easing um, and I think but I think that is an area that in South Africa the the the, the government and the central bank have have treated as a kind of a boogeyman type of issue um, and they worry that that by just even raising it, it may cause uh, problems within the markets in terms of uh, views of credibility. But I think it's a really important issue that has to be investigated and maybe um, uh, uh, researched and discussed within the society. So I think there's a, so the, other, the other side of that is, is, is that if we aren't going to consider that, then we have to basically look at um, possibly increasing borrowing from cheaper sources like the IMF, the World Bank uh, and others, uh, then we, we also get into the areas of what does that mean? Um, and with, uh, with the IMF loan, people said, well, there are no conditions attached to that. Um, but but you, you, you actually see a change in the way in which the IMF is lending money to countries and that the, the structural adjustment has to be done by countries before they actually qualify to borrow. And so, in a sense, South Africa's through self-imposing certain conditions on ourselves, including uh, the way in which we approach fiscal policy, 
we now qualify for the for those loans. The, the issue then is, is that if we want to choose to change our approach to fiscal policy, the way in which we borrow, whether we use options like quantitative easing and other things in the future, we are bound in into into that and we become more reliant on on, on institutions like the IMF, which is something I think that um, since the 1980s, South Africa, uh, uh, um, in Africa, we've been really concerned about. Um, and, and I think overall, the approach uh, taken by, uh, in terms of theoretically, by, by institutions like the IMF and World Bank hasn't changed that much in terms of uh, what structure adjustment means. So we have to think about that carefully. Um, I think the Treasury has done a lot, and this is an area that the PBO is um, planning to do more research on this year, is to think about how the, the approach to debt markets and how debt is managed and, and the shifting of um, short-term to, to long-term debt to, to basically um, improve um, the, 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 the overall debt situation within the country. I think my sense is that, that the Treasury is doing a lot there and that um, we, have a, we, we don't have, I think, an in-depth understanding of that process. And so we do want to investigate that more and think through that. But, but, uh, but I think we shouldn't close the door on, on looking at what developed countries have done. It's basically saying we are, we're not going to leave government, the interest rates paid by governments, sovereign governments, to the markets um, by getting central banks to, to provide the financing and get involved in, in stimulating, uh, supporting fiscal stimulation, et cetera, uh, the big issue hasn't, I think, been they can do this because interest rates are low. The big issue is, is that they've actually taken control of interest rates. And they've, they've basically uh, said that interest rates are low. Um, so, so I won't get, I, I can't, I don't think I can go into that uh, further yet without taking up too much, much more time. But um, in terms of those issues, I think there's a lot of work that, um, within the government and institutions like the PBO that we still need to do to give you more informed opinions on that too. Thank you, Honorable Chair. Okay. Thank you. Um, um, yeah, I think let's, uh, we, let's uh, come to the uh, close of, of uh, uh, this, this, this part of our presentation. Safe to say, uh, uh, Dr. Siraj, one thing that I haven't had when we, we, we talk about the advantage of lower interest rates coming from the Bretton Woods institutions is that uh, we've not been very uh, <clears throat> firm as far as the exchange rate risks which are associated with that. And even when I hear National Treasury, they don't talk much about that, which is a, a, especially with our very volatile exchange uh, rate. But this fund is just saying it's an era which needs a, a further, further, further research. But thank you very much, Dr. Olani and uh, uh, Dr. Saraji and uh, the, the whole team uh, for, for, the, for, the, for the presentation. Um, honorable members, uh, thank you very much. Uh, Terry, can we go to the next agenda item? Uh, are there any announcements coming from your side? No, no, no one, no announcements from my side. Um, the notice for next week will be distributed in due course. Okay.
thank, thank, thank you very much, honorable members, um, uh, our support, our support staff, Nikonenji, Swiss, Musa Nudiolo. Are you all in? I second the chaplain. Can't see sort. Okay, good. All members, once again, thank you very much. Uh, our meeting is adjourned. Thank you. Thank, thank you, Chair. Thank you, Chair. Thank you. Thank you. Thank, thank you, Chair. Thank you. Thank you, all members. Um, yeah. Ibo. Recording stopped. <laughs>